Alleluia! The Lord is risen! <laughs> Alleluia! The Lord is risen! It is a joyful morning, isn't it? It's a beautiful day, but most of all, we're celebrating our risen Lord. But you know, the first Easter morning didn't start with joy, did it? It started with grief. Will you come with me back, put your imaginations on, and come back to that first Easter morning? I know you know the story, but together, let's imagine it. Let's imagine we're living that day so very long ago. It's a little earlier than this, obviously, about 5 o'clock. Sunrise today in Jerusalem is at 6, so dawn would be about 5. Depending on the moon, it was pretty bright here this morning. It's about the same temperature, 56 in Jerusalem at 5 this morning, but it's going to be in the 80s later. We are wracked with pain, overcome with sorrow. The dear one, our beloved rabbi, the one we thought was Messiah, he's gone. We watched him tortured. We watched him die. We watched him being put in the tomb, Joseph's new tomb. We knew where his body had been laid. And so now that the Sabbath is over, we're going to finish what we couldn't finish then because of the Sabbath. At least it gives us something to do. And at least we're doing it together. Are you there with me? And then, and then we were kind of worried as we got there, what would we do? How would we get the stone away so we could go and care for his body? We get there, and the stone is rolled away. And there, two shining, shining men, dazzling, overcomingly bright, are standing there. We're terrified. We drop to the ground, to our knees, our face to the ground. What else could we do? And then we hear those crazy words. Why? What are you doing here in a cemetery? Why are you looking for the living one in a graveyard? Doesn't make sense. What do they mean? Of course we're here. Of course we're here looking for Jesus. We've come to care for him. We have one last job to do for him. One last thing to honor him. And then they go on. He's not here, you silly ones, they seem to say. One of the men says, he's risen. And then most astonishingly, did you hear those words? Don't you remember don't you remember that he told you he'd be crucified and on the third day risen from the dead? We stop. Then 
we do remember. So we race back to tell the others what we've seen and heard. And the response of those disciples? Derision. Condescension. It's an idle tale, they say. They didn't know then that the word would become our English word delirious. But they knew anyway, you know, these women, they get so emotional about things. Of course they're delirious. Some things don't change, at least not too much. I'm used to it, but still it's so frustrating. But Peter, at least, decides to investigate just in case these delirious women could be right. And guess what he discovers? Just what we told him. An empty tomb. Linen grave cloths cast away. Marveling, he goes home. And then, over the course of that day, crazy things keep happening. A man catches up with Cleopas and his wife as they're going home to Emmaus. And he starts to explain how the Messiah had to die, how he had to rise on the third day, that the scriptures had said that from the beginning to the end. He explained it all to them, and their hearts burned. When they get home, he looks like he's going on, but they beg him to stay. It's late in the afternoon. And as he has dinner with them, prays blessing over the bread, they recognize him. They see his scars and recognize it's Jesus. And then he disappears. Then, as we're in a locked room, listening to Cleopas tell their story, there he is, in the locked room. Or is he? Is it a ghost? He doesn't exactly look the same, but there he is. But he holds out his hands and his feet. He shows us his scars. Is it true? Could it be? None of us, none of us has any categories to explain or describe any of this. You know, this is the thing I think we forget about Easter. We jump so quickly to joy, and of course we want to. Look at this day, how can we not? We jump so quickly to revving ourselves up spiritually and emotionally that I sometimes think we miss it. Of course, Easter is a day for rejoicing, but Easter is also a day for grappling with the mind-boggling, earth-shattering, heaven-shattering maybe, paradigm-crashing reality. The out of the boxness of it, or the out of the out of the boxness of it, or the beyond being out of the out of the boxness of it. It's so crazy. It's so big and indescribable, unimaginable what God has done. And it changes everything, even if we can't grasp it.
You know, those disciples couldn't grasp it at first. They had no mental map for the resurrection. That's why the gospel accounts in all four gospels barely mention joy. I mean, it's there, but hardly. Not in today's gospel. Here's the list I called of the emotional words that are in the four gospel accounts. Fear. Fear again. Great joy. Okay, it's there. Alarm. Trembling. Astonishment. Afraid. Startled. Perplexed. Frightened. Troubled. Doubt. Disbelief for joy. Okay, it's kind of there. Marveling. Glad. I guess that's joy. And untrust. Sometimes uh, lack of faith or uh, doubt. But really it means an inability or a refusal to trust in what they've seen, what God's done. Not a lot of joy. That would come later. It took those first disciples a long time to grasp what had happened. It took many conversations with Jesus over the next 40 days. Conversations as he came and went, and came and went again. It took his explanations about the meaning of scripture from beginning to end. It took his breathing that first Easter night, breathing the Holy Spirit on them and challenging them to forgive the sins of others. It took his anointing with power on, from on high of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And of course, it took the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in their lives as they acted on the truth of the resurrection, trusting him to be with them. But here's what they finally understood. Jesus really died. He went where dead people go. And on the third day, his father raised him from the dead, giving him a new body. He wasn't a ghost. He had a real body. A body that the disciples could touch. A body that could eat fish and bread. His body was new. It was an incorruptible body. I guess that's what made it unrecognizable or sort of recognizable. Where, and whenever he showed up, people were, is it him? Is it him? Because his body was a new body. And they also came to understand that Jesus will come again. Whether, and, and he will do the same for us. He will give us a new body. He will raise us up like Jesus was raised. And whether we're alive or dead when he comes again, he will give us that new, uncorruptible body. We may wait longer than Jesus did, a little longer than three days to receive it, but maybe it won't feel that way. But that doesn't diminish the fact that we will, we will receive new, uncorruptible bodies. In fact, the earth will receive a new body too. 
The earth itself will be made new, uncorrupted by sin and death. That's where we'll live with him. It's a future that is unimaginably good. And if you have trouble grasping it, you're in good company. It's so unimaginably good that it's hard to imagine. New Testament scholar and Bishop Tom Wright puts it this way. God will do for the whole of creation at the last what he did for Jesus at Easter, taking the physical reality that had been broken and smashed beyond belief, rescuing it and restoring it so that it wasn't just in the same state as before, but was actually renewed, having gone beyond the reach of corruption and decay altogether. He goes on, what we are promised in God's new world is a non-corruptible physicality. We are promised that for our very, we are promised that for our very own bodies. And we are promised this for the entire new creation. If you have trouble wrapping your heads around this, well, of course. You know, I keep wondering what it would be like to stand up here and see all of you with uncorruptible bodies. <laughs> really? Would I recognize you or would I say, is that her? I think I know him, but he looks so different. Nothing in normal life gives us categories for the resurrection, even for those who know it, even for those who've heard the story and said yes to it and say yes to it year after year. In fact, I sometimes wonder if the very familiarity of the Easter story may inoculate us to its earth-shattering nature. So we do rejoice at Easter. We rejoice because Jesus is not dead. He is alive. With, <laughs> yes, with a new body. And we rejoice. Yeah, you can do that. I think you're right. He's alive with a new body. We rejoice. And we rejoice because as Paul told the Philippians, listen to this, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Okay, you can ring. worth ringing for, yes? And we rejoice because even now in our corruptible bodies, while we're waiting for Jesus' return, we're invited into God's domain, into his kingdom, it's called. And we're, as we link our lives more and more to Jesus' life, we're given a taste, a foretaste of what it'll be like it's not the whole thing, but we get little glimpses and little tastes, and it's scrumptious of the power that raised him and will raise us. 
this power of God's kingdom. Most of you have tasted it, right? You know what it does. Here are a few things you add to the list. The power of God's kingdom gives us freedom from the fear of death, brings healing to diseased bodies and minds. It offers hope for the hopeless. It gives us joy even in the midst of excruciating pain or sorrow. This power equips us to turn away from our sinful ways, walk in a new way. It enables us to love even our enemies and so much more. You could probably add to the list, right? What this power does as we link our lives to Jesus. So my brothers and sisters, as we rejoice, let's not forget to recognize the earth-shattering, mind-boggling, paradigm-shifting quality of Jesus' resurrection, a power that gave those first disciples terror, amazement, alarm, and doubt, along with a too-good-to-be-true joy then our Easter joy will really be Easter joy, right? Full, rich, deep, a different kind of joy, bigger joy. As we just begin to grasp how big it is, how much we've been given. My husband, Wiss, is in Cyprus today. Happy Easter. <laughs> but he sent me an Easter gift. It was a YouTube video of an Easter song. And um, its final two lines have been haunting me, so I wanted to share them with you. Maybe they'll haunt you too for the rest of the day anyway. So crucify your hesitation. Wounded expectation bring. Will you welcome Resurrection, will you crown the risen king? Will you? Will you? This Easter, I'm joining the Apostle Paul in the prayer he prayed for the Ephesians. His words of prayer are better than mine could be on this day anyway. So pray with me. We pray that the eyes of our hearts be enlightened that we may know what is the hope to which he's called us, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly kingdom. Amen. Did you hear how hard it was for Paul to pray this? I mean, he couldn't figure out the right words, so the words kind of pile up, right? Ah, riches, glorious, immeasurable. He can't find the words. It's so great. So, brothers and sisters, hallelujah! Christ is risen! Please stand. Let's.